Welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast, where today's brightest minds in the medical device industry go to get their most useful and actionable insider knowledge, direct from some of the world's leading medical device experts and companies. Attention, medical device company. It's very important that you understand the ramifications of a quality management system. It's very important that you understand what you should own, what you should manage, what you should maintain versus what you are able to outsource to third-party suppliers and resources such as contract manufacturers. I've seen an alarming trend with medical device companies where they are very keen to hand off responsibility for a quality management system to a third-party resource. And I think there's some real challenges. I think there's some real problems. I think there are some real concerns and, and questionable business practices by doing so. So I hope you enjoy this episode of the Global Medical Device Podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Global Medical Device Podcast. This is your host, founder and VP of Quality and Regulatory at Greenlight Guru, John Spear. Uh, Today, we're going to do a little bit of a role reversal. Familiar voice with me and a familiar voice with Mike Drews from Vascular Sciences. Mike, welcome. Thank you, John. But Mike, we're going to turn the tables a little bit. You and I have been kind of chatting uh, prior to uh, today's session about maybe diving into a content piece that caught your eye recently on the Greenlight Guru blog. And the specific content piece is why contract manufacturers shouldn't own your quality system and and you had some thoughts and ideas about ways to dive into that a little bit. So if we're okay with this, I, I think you're going to be asking me some questions this time. How's that sound? That's correct. I'm looking forward to it, John. So, yeah, as you just mentioned recently, there was this piece that came across my email, why contract manufacturers should not own your quality system. And it was written by this really wackadoodle guy named John Spear. I think he's almost as wackadoodle as I am. But... Uh, <laughs> John, why don't you start out by telling the audience what your motivation was for writing this particular column? Sure, happy to. And there's a couple of, I'll say, trigger events. And and I think it's probably, well, it's been kind of an escalation, if you will, over time. And there was sort of, uh, as they say, the the straw that broke the camel's back uh, recently. And let me elaborate. So for, well, really, you know, I've been in this space for 20 years, and I would say from the day one that I started up till present day that there has been a growing migration or interest or or whatever the right term is, where companies are looking to outsource more and more and more of, you know, different parts and pieces of what needs to be done in designing, developing, manufacturing, and commercializing medical devices. And there's been a, to me, a little bit of an alarming growing trend where startup company has idea for device or, or, you know, the IP associated with a particular product, they, you know, kind of go through the design and development process either on their own or with a design partner. And then they get to the point where they're, they've gone through, you know, the regulatory submission process and clearances and so on. And they're ready to start scaling up their manufacturing. And they're like, oh, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to, I want to hand off all this responsibility for quality to a contract manufacturer. And, you know, there are some contract manufacturers who are out there advertising, hey, you don't have to worry about your QMS. We'll take care of that. And I just think that that's just, that's an alarming thing for me to, to hear that there are companies out there offering this because some of these startup companies, they are at a point where 
they're like, oh, well, I don't have to do this. That quality stuff's painful. That regulatory compliance stuff, uh, I don't like it. So I'll just hand it off to somebody else. And I, I think that's very, very risky from a business perspective. Well, John, you know, this topic is very timely, not just in the sense that you, of course, published your column just a few weeks ago, but let me share very quickly a a personal story. Just yesterday, I had a telephone call with a potential new customer to help them on their regulatory strategy, and they happened to mention that on the quality side, they have farmed out making or putting together their quality management system to one of these third parties that you just alluded to. And they're looking forward to getting the results when it's all done. In other words, according to them, they're not planning to participate in the process. They've just hired these folks to put it together and to give it to them. I can kind of guess the answer to this question, John, but what do you think of that approach? I just think it's a, it's full of risk. Uh, risk you know, from a business perspective, risk from a regulatory compliance perspective. I just think it's a bad, bad idea. And, and it, let me elaborate on this. You know, it's very clear that, um, you know, and it's not, I don't, I don't want com- people to, or companies to do things because, you know, they, the regulations say so. I want them to do it because it makes good business sense. And, uh, and some of the things that I'll share with you today, they'll be because this is what the regulations are very clear about. And, and some of it is going to be, this is what makes good business sense. But from a regulatory lens, if you will, a compliance lens, it is very clear You know, from FDA regulations, it's very clear from uh, all other regulations that I'm aware of in the modern world in the medical device industry, that executive management needs to be intimately involved with the quality of their product and their processes. And when you outsource this, this responsibility to a third-party resource and are completely hands-off, you're in direct violation, in my uh, opinion, uh, with complying with these regulations. Well, John, I couldn't agree with you more. As a matter of fact, what I said in this conversation yesterday to this potential new customer is that while you can certainly do that in terms of the, the letter of the law, I think that violates the entire spirit of the law. As you and I have talked about before, I don't take a boilerplate approach to regulation or even quality for that matter. It's not just a matter of, of having these forms in place. So who do you think is ultimately responsible within a company for having and maintaining and following a QMS, a quality system? Well, there's this phrase or this term that it's not an official term. It's one that's it's kind of slang, if you will. But I, there's this concept of a chief jailable officer that I've heard from time to time, <laughs> you know, and, 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 but, it, but in all seriousness, I mean, it, it starts with the, the, the C-suite of a company, specifically a CEO. I mean, that, the CEO ultimately has the responsibility to ensure that a quality management system is appropriate, effective, and structured in a way that not only meets the needs of the, the regulatory requirements, but also the needs of the business. So I think it really starts with the CEO. The you know, FDA regulations go on to, to define this role of a management representative that for, for companies, that, that's generally the person who is sort of, the, if you will, the face of the company with the person that's going to, to most likely interface or interact with regulatory bodies the most. And then um, with the new EUMDR, there's a, a new phrase. I don't think it's a new expectation, but it's a new phrase that has been defined by EUMDR, person responsible for regulatory compliance is a phrase. And from everything that I understand about that, that this, quote, new term, 
it is um, part and parcel with the expectation of a management representative. Well, I, I love that phrase, chief jailable officer, John. I have not heard that before, so I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> yeah, borrow, borrow it from you. It's not mine. Now, somebody, I don't, I can't, I can't tell you who to, who to give credit for, but, but I, I do think it is serious for for people to think about. I mean, if think about it, if you are in the C-suite of a med device company and you have this mindset where you're going to completely be hands off of a quality system and and completely outsource this quote responsibility uh, for the quality of your products and and the process that are involved with with your product if there are issues if there are events if there are you know god forbid but adverse events and, and somebody gets hurt uh, i assure you that you have responsibility to address this and you know you hope it never happens and but there is an escalation process and and if the infractions or the issues are are severe and serious enough uh, it could lead to some time behind bars uh, it doesn't happen very often but but when it does it's not a good day that's definitely uh, correct, John. And uh, you mentioned in your blog, you know, the name of the company on the product who is responsible. And I say very much the same thing. I like to say the, the, the name of the company at the top of the label is ultimately responsible. And never mind from an FDA perspective, getting things with a warning letter. If you just, as a, alluded to, a person is harmed from one of our medical devices and the company gets sued then uh, you're exactly right. You know, some people can, in some cases, doesn't happen very often, go to jail. So oh, that's the, uh, this is high stakes bingo. But obviously, John, you and I work with a lot of small companies and startups. They have limited knowledge, perhaps internally. They might not be experts in quality management systems or even regulatory in general. They might have limited resources in terms of time and money. So even if they wanted to sit down and put together a new QMS for their organization, they may not be able to do it by themselves. So what would be your advice? In other words, we both agree that simply farming out the entire QMS is not a good thing. But what would be your pragmatic advice for companies in this kind of a situation with limited resources? Sure. And and I think, um, you know, let's talk about it from the lens of, of a, a company who is in the development of, you know, trying to bring the first product to market and maybe don't have products on the market. So, you know, my approach to my advice to companies when you're establishing your quality system is I, I use this term bootstrap or you know, really it's about building it as you go, building it as you need it. And if you're still in, in development, you know, you don't need to focus on everything under the sun from a quality management system perspective, you know, especially if you're still, let's say, pre-regulatory submission, you're probably need to establish processes around things like design controls, around risk management, uh, have good uh, processes for document management and records management. And, you know, in the event that that you are that startup and you're working with suppliers, whether that be design firms or testing resources or consultants, uh, you should also have supplier management processes well-defined. So that's early stage. But as you progress further through the design and development process and closer and closer to uh, design transfer and, and full production, you'll need to build out other parts and pieces of your quality management system. And there's a lot of ways that you can do this. If you're a small company, you could leverage consulting resources. You could leverage solutions like Greenlight Guru EQMS software platform. But eventually, at some point in time, you're going to have to dedicate a resource. Now, 
you know, does that have to be a full-time resource? Depends. The favorite response of any quality and regulatory um, professional is it depends. There's a lot of factors, but but you can't completely el- eliminate the responsibility uh, from your company. I mean, a, a scenario that I see a lot of uh, smaller companies engage with is that early days they may leverage a consultant or a resource like Greenlight Guru, but then as they prepare for design transfer, you know, that kind of becomes a point in time where you have to make a decision. Do I have hire a full-time resource or can I still leverage that, that third-party resource to assist me with this as long as my finger as that C, uh, CEO of the company or the C-suite with the company, as long as I'm engaged and involved and an active participant in that, I don't have to own a quality system per se, but as long as I'm active and engaged in that process, I may be able to leverage third-party resources. So taking that a step further, John, obviously medical device companies today, regardless of size, farm out a lot of activities to contract manufacturers. This happens obviously in huge medical device companies. It happens also in very small companies, farming out things like design, like development, like testing, like a lot of different things. So one of the things you talk about in your in your column, John, is how do you find a good contract manufacturer, maybe you can sort of recap some of your advice there and perhaps even take it a step beyond what you've talked about in your column. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are, um, I mean, contract manufacturing, there's a, a lot of upsides to this. I mean, it, you know, in today's day and age, um, with, with um, you know, cost is often at times a factor for a lot of things. And in, in especially if you are that startup, I mean, you're, you're probably probably don't have an infinite amount of capital where you could you know, build manufacturing facilities and, and purchase equipment and go through you know all the installation and and the qualification and the validation of all of your equipment and your processes so you know in those cases that lends itself to you know that that opportunity of working with the contract manufacturer this is puts a lot of emphasis on your in, own internal process from supplier qualification supplier evaluation you know you have to to do your due diligence to vet and and identify and qualify and, and perform due diligence on any supplier that you're working with and it needs to be commensurate with the risk that that supplier plays in your your whole product realization process so uh, a contract manufacturer is going to be a pretty high risk supplier for you. So the level of scrutiny, the level of due diligence, the level of ongoing monitoring is going to be pretty important that you you put that contract manufacturer through its paces. And there, my advice to you is you should be choosing a contract manufacturer that aligns with the skill sets, with the expertise, with the critical quality, the cleanliness that really aligns with your product. And I'll use an example to try to illustrate that. You know, if you're a med device company and you're going to a uh, an automotive um, contract manufacturer, that might raise some flags and concerns because how do you know that that particular contract manufacturer is uh, meeting your needs uh, as a medical device company. I'm not saying they won't, but that that's going to put more weight on you internally to make sure that you are properly qualifying that you're doing. You might need to do uh, on-site audit of that supplier. You might need to compare their internal processes against the regulations. So you probably have to be much more hands-on in those scenarios. On the flip side, a lot of um, a, a practice that I see a lot of companies do is is uh, they look for a contract manufacturer that who is already ISO 13485 certified. And it's almost like they, they take a very laissez-faire approach in that situation where 
oh, they're thirteen forty five certified. Therefore, you know, they they meet the intent and the need, and I, I don't have to do so much. They they've got this certificate hanging on the wall. I would be very cautious by just taking that approach too. That's a little too lax. So, bottom line is, you want to make sure you clearly articulate and identify what you need from your contract manufacturer and prove or, or have uh, objective evidence to demonstrate that that contract manufacturer can meet those needs. So document these, these needs. And, you know, a best practice would be to have a quality agreement in place between you and your contract manufacturer and, and perform that due diligence to, to confirm that, that those processes and, and those details and those reporting needs and, and all the things that are important are in place and, and you have proof of that. So, John, as we get close to the end of this discussion, there's just two last things that I wanted to ask you about. Uh, first, as many in this audience know, I'm not a big fan of reading regulation to people. You can read it themselves. However, there was there were two sentences in your column that, for the benefit of the audience, um, I would like to read because I find them to be particularly poignant. And what I'd like you to do, John, is explain why you put them in there. Uh, this is in the, the final thoughts section of your column, and it reads, I quote, if it's your company's name on the medical device you're bringing to market, then it is ultimately your company that is legally responsible for your quality system. Will you put your business in the hands of a third party and hope they care as much about your company's compliance as you do, end quote. This is from John Spears' column, a direct quote. And since we're talking to the author, John, why did you put that in your column? What did, maybe you can provide a little additional sort of background or backstory on that. Sure. So it's that scenario where, um, and as I said, the inspiration for this particular uh, content piece, we were in conversations with a company, uh, a med device company, they, you know, technical inventors, they had brought their product or designed their product and had taken it through. I think they ended up getting a 510K clearance. And at some point in the conversation, like, you know, we don't, we're not really keen to this whole quality stuff, but we did find this contract manufacturer that uh, says that they'll, they'll take on all that responsibility on our behalf. And, and, and I asked them, I'm like, whose name is going to be on the product? Like, What's going to be our name, our company name? And, and it, it's just, like I said, red flags uh, were, were waving like crazy. And I communicated to them, you know, um, I get the role that a contract manufacturer can play. Plenty of good contract manufacturing resources, really uh, good opportunities to, to leverage these types of relationships. But uh, at the end of the day, what assurance do you have? That, that contract manufacturer is is going to, to take this as seriously as you. What happens if if there's a complaint on your product or an adverse event? You know, do you know for certain that that company is going to take this as seriously as you should as the owner of this company? And and they really didn't have good answers to that. They they you know they I felt as though they were using hope as a strategy. They were hoping that that company, this contract manufacturer, was was going to to care as much as as they did. But that's not really the the motivation of a lot of contract manufacturers. So you know that's that's really what that was all about. Is just um, realize at the end of the day, you are designing and developing a product. Hopefully, it's to improve the quality of life. And uh, I hope you take that responsibility very seriously and that you're willing to own that responsibility because, you know, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do is is help people and, and save people's lives and, and, and you know, and, and just make their life better. Uh, and so, you know, that's that's really what that message was all about. 
Well, as often as the case, John, I could not agree with you more. And I think it's unfortunate that not everybody in this industry feels as you and I do. It's regrettable. You know, you and I have talked many times about what I like to call this tick box on a form mentality. And when people farm things out, like, for example, uh, farming out uh, your quality management system, that's just another form of that tick box on a form mentality. And I think that's something that we as professionals and as an industry need to get past. So to wrap up our discussion today, John, what do you think are the one or perhaps two most important lessons to be learned or things that you want our audience to come away with after reading your column and or after listening to our discussion today? Yeah, the main thing is understand what the requirements are. You know, if you are a medical device company, there are certain requirements in FDA, they're defined in 820. If you're outside the U.S., you may lean on things like ISO 1345 and other regulatory requirements, you know, from the the markets that you're in. But understand those those regulatory requirements for the markets that you are selling your product. And make sure you have clearly identified processes and procedures to address each of these things. And in some cases, it is okay to outsource that responsibility uh, on the day-to-day management of things. But make sure that you always have line sight and visibility and access to the proof and the objective evidence and know what's really happening with your products and processes. Thanks. Uh, I'll give you the opportunity to, um, to to wrap this up officially in just a moment. But let me just take this opportunity to, um, uh, to take what you just said a half a step further. Obviously, it's important to identify and comply with the regulatory requirements and the quality requirements either here in the U.S. or wherever it is that you're doing business. However, I would argue that that's a starting point. That's not a stopping point. The regulatory requirements are the bare minimum. As I've mentioned in some of our previous discussions, you know, when we meet the regulatory requirements, that's the academic equivalent of being a C student. So I think our goal should not be simply quality compliance or regulatory compliance. That's a pretty low place to set the bar. I think our goal should be higher than that. There are many companies that have a quality management system in place. As a matter of fact, all medical device companies are required to have one, and yet they get into trouble, they have problems, and so on. So just because you have the paperwork in place, just because you're meeting the requirements of the FDA or whoever it is, doesn't necessarily mean that you're being a good medical device professional. Something to think about. So, John, why don't you why don't you uh, do our official wrap up and we'll close for today? All right, sounds good. And Mike, thanks so much. I I, I know what it feels like to be you when you and I do these podcasts now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, folks, you know this topic of quality management system and being a medical device company. This is the sole reason why we exist at Greenlight Guru. Uh, We've built an EQMS software platform that is specific for the medical device industry designed by actual medical device professionals. So that is unique. Nothing like that in the world exists. So I would encourage you, you, if you have questions or comments about you know, how to scale or structure or build your quality system and what you should be doing internally versus what types of things are, you know, okay to outsource and and establish a strategy and a plan for working with third-party resources and suppliers and contract manufacturers. I would encourage you to reach out to us. Go to www.com 
greenlight.guru to learn more. Mike, thank you so much. I always enjoy these opportunities to chat with you. You know, once again, this is John Spear, the host, founder, and VP of quality and regulatory at Greenlight Guru. And you have been listening to the Global Medical Device Podcast. <laughs>